Hour number two, Canuck Central here in the Kintec studio. Sportsnet 650, Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Canucks did make a transaction today. Yes, they did. Sat's uh, other favorite, Jack Studnika, back up with the big club on emergency conditions. Tears in my eyes this morning. (laughs) They will have 12 forwards, so everybody can stop the panic of playing 11 forwards and six defense, which also the Edmonton Oilers did last night and also the Oilers did for much of last season, (laughs) and they were fine. (laughs) So it's uh, sort of a reality in the National Hockey League, though I can understand the sentiment. A team that's been out of the playoffs as long as the Canucks have Shouldn't necessarily have to be in that situation, but nevertheless, here they are. Uh, all right, let's bring in our next guest. It's Harmon Dial of The Athletic. Thanks for this, Harm. Um, so last night, 8-1, we, we know Besser's four goals. The power play was good. The penalty kill was pretty good. They held McDavid. I, there wasn't really many negatives, but you know, what were some of the, uh, I guess, building blocks, the encouraging signs that you know the Canucks can, can really move forward from this uh, 8-1 win and, and take it into the rest of the season. Yeah, so many different um, aspects of the team's play last night you could start with. I, I think the biggest overall theme was that it was just a professional, polished showing, and they were fully bought in on the message that Rick Tockett has been um, trying to preach in terms of wall work, um, defensive playing your own end, having a sense of composure, all five guys being connected together, having structure. Uh, it was all those little details that seemed to add up and really allow the Canucks to control play. One of the things, for example, that really stood out was, you think back to um, last night, how many times did we really see Connor McDavid wind up and the Oilers be able to hit him in stride through the neutral zone where he looks unstoppable? Maybe once, maybe twice, um, the Canucks were just able to hold them, hold, hold them uh, without that. And I think a big part of that was because, for instance, their wingers. You look at the Miller line that was matched up against them, for example, head to head against McDavid's line. Um, Di Giuseppe and Besser did an excellent job of uh, applying pressure on the defensemen, and the Oilers' uh, defenders just weren't able to. Um, make clean plays to actually then hit McDavid in stride. And uh, all those little details up and down the lineup, guys like Sam Lafferty, Beauvillier, um, Garland, even Nils Hoaglander with some strong defensive plays. It just seemed like all 12, I was about to say all 12 forwards, it wasn't 12 forwards, all 11 forwards um, were bought in. And even in the defensive end, looking at the steady impact of a guy like Ian Cole, how many times he was able to make a – quick little play to break up uh, a cycle. The Canucks are just outworking the Oilers everywhere. And I can't remember too many times the Canucks have been able to do that the last two, three years. It felt like this group just seemed to buy in and getting that type of result early, I think is going to make the message a lot easier to uh, sell to the players because look, this type of work ethic is hard to maintain over full 82 games. So to, to have such an encouraging result against a team that's um, a cup contender, that's going to make the players feel so much better about continuing to put that work in over the course of the season. Well, and you know, you're right to me, it was, it was the same thing, the buy-in, you know, playing that clean, disruptive hockey. And there's so many players that kind of personified that. And we'll talk about that here as, as, as this hit goes on, but I did want to spend a little bit of time, especially you mentioned wall work and what, 
what the pet, what the Miller, uh, Fielder Giuseppe, and Brock Besser line did. Of course, Besser was fantastic scoring the goals and having some puck luck, of course. But that line was eating, not only on the forecheck, but also winning puck battles and, and doing the wall work. I mean, the first goal that Besser scores, I mean, it was like a, a, a battle or winning a puck in the neutral zone, two at the blue line, one at the gold line, and next thing you know, JT finds Brock Besser. I mean, if that line can consistently do that, not only are they tough to play against, it's going to create a lot of offense for the team. Absolutely, and I, I I couldn't count how many plays there were where they goes in with speed as the first four checker, and it's not that he's immediately winning the puck, but he's forcing the opposition defenseman to um, sort of skate into trouble on one side of the ice where the Canucks have uh, help, where you know whether whether it's a defenseman pitching up the wall or the second second and third forward is there ready to apply pressure, or he's just able to pin the defenseman. Um, and force the opposition to um, slow down just just in time so that help can arrive. Um, he did that over and over and over again, and it just allowed Besser and Miller to feast, um, allowed them to get set up down low, and from there they were they were able to get to work. And I think that's so encouraging for this team because when you look at what they need at five on five, look, we know that the Elise Lee Patterson line is going to give the Canucks an advantage, but what the Canucks maybe lacked last year com- compared to, for example, what the Miller line did the year before um, was really controlling and winning those even strength matchups. Um, Miller's line, for example, last year was minus 14 in terms of goal differential. The year before there were plus four, plus 14. So year over year, it was a 28 goal swing. And even if this line can be, let's say hypothetically break even, um, at even strength going up against, um, you know, McDavid and top lines all over the NHL. That's a huge win for the Canucks because then you're able to um, allow the Pedersen line to win, decisively win their minutes. And, and the bottom six is upgraded um, with Suter and, and Bluger once he's healthy. And they look like they can adequately control play. And all of a sudden you have a lineup that I feel a lot more confident about how they can control five and five play. So that's, that second line to me is such a critical wild card. I was already thinking about that going into the season, about how critical it'd be for the team's success. And, and honestly, you could not have scripted a better performance for them. I mean, I was, I was looking at um, the numbers after last night's game. I think Miller spent just north of nine minutes head-to-head against McDavid. Talk, you're talking about Canucks scoring three goals, allowing zero, and I think according to natural statics, zero high-danger chances against. Like That's one of the best shutdown performances um, any line has had against um, Connor McDavid at five on five um, over the last year. Yeah, it was super impressive. And, you know, we've sort of seen it in spurts with JT Miller that he can center a line and, and be able to do that. But we've seen the best of it really in the now, I guess, 36 games that he's played with with Rick Tockett. It's it's encouraging. I mean, uh, not many of us thought JT Miller had the defensive chops through the middle of the ice, but when he first got to Vancouver, I mean, he, he earned Selkie votes in that first season as a winger, you know? So like he, he has strong defensive instincts harm. It's just hasn't really translated all the time when he's played the middle of the ice. Yeah. I think the one thing that he's particularly done really well under Tockett is um, making sure that he's managing the puck responsibly. I, I think I think the worst breakdowns that we saw, perhaps under Boudreaux in the first 40 to 50 games, originated from him 
um, making an ill-advised pass at the offensive blue line, trying to go all the way east-west, and all of a sudden gets picked off. And then that's where you'd also have um, the lackadaisical back check. But, you know, since Talkett has taken over, it, it's been hard to remember many instances where Miller has um, made one of those passes where you just scratch your head and wonder why he took, why he made such a risky play. And I think when you when he is managing the puck responsibly, it makes his job so much simpler because, I mean, in today's NHL, so much of the offense is created after, after um, a change in possession because that's mm-hmm. when it's an opportunity for the opposition to attack in situations where your team isn't, um, isn't connected, where, where guys aren't necessarily in, a defensive, in the right defensive position because you had the puck and you thought you were, you were going to attack. And that's why that's been a theme not only for Miller, but for the entire team that Talkett has continually preached over and over again that, hey, guys, you've got to manage the puck responsibly, can't be making risky turnovers. Um, let's keep it north-south rather than east-west. Um, and Miller, to his credit, has has been night and day in terms of improving that side of his game, and I think that's really been one of the biggest keys because, you know, on top of that, he's been battling a lot more and taking pride into um, upping his work rate, and, and, and when he does that, I, I think that's the recipe for him having success down the middle. Yeah, and, you know, you kind of mentioned the bottom six being a lot more cohesive as well, especially with the way Suter played last night, and I don't think anybody personified, you know, uh, getting sticks on pucks and jumping passing lanes more than he did, whether it was the offensive zone, defensive zone, neutral zone, on the PK even. I was really impressed with not only just his overall hockey sense, but his ability to really be disruptive all over the ice. Yeah, he's just like a safety blanket all over the ice. You can just count on him to make the right, responsible play all the time. And we know that he's not the biggest guy. We know that he's not the fastest guy. But positionally, he's just so smart um, at reading the play, making those quick decisions. I mean, one that really stood out was in the first period, the Canucks seemed to kind of have a defensive breakdown and the Oilers had the puck right below the goal line. And there was an Oilers forward in, uh, in the high slot, ready to, to pull the trigger on a one-timer. Demko probably wouldn't have seen that pass coming or, or had a lot of time to react. And all of a sudden, Suter is able to disrupt that. And a, a play like that can change the, change the momentum, right? Because Oilers score early in a game like that, and um, it can totally flip uh, the script. And Suter's had so many moments like that, not only in this regular season game, but just throughout training camp and preseason um, as a whole. And, and when, you, when you speak about the Canucks trying to improve defensively, it's not just about the defensemen. We've spoken about the responsibilities that the forwards have, um, especially with centermen coming down low and making sure that they're covering the slot, taking, taking passes away, helping the defensemen on breakouts. And Suter fits that MO perfectly in terms of being just such a responsible, smart two-way player that, um, you can depend in every situation. Depend on in every situation. So on defense, uh, wh- what did you make of how the uh, defense worked last night? We didn't. You know, it wasn't as much defense by committee as maybe we expected. Uh, Quinn Hughes and Philip Peronic, Ian Cole, Tyler Myers, Akito Hirose, and Noah Juleson were the pairs. Yeah, it's. I'm going to be really interested to see how they may have to adjust on Saturday, not having last change, uh, because obviously. The other night, they could lean pretty heavily on Hughes and Hronik, and I thought both of them were uh, really strong. Obviously, Hronik in particular, there was one rush where 
um, late in the second, I believe, where McDavid was coming down and it was the end of a long shift and Hornick's coming in sprawling um, to deny that backdoor pass attempt that the Oilers could have scored on. And he just had a steady, calm impact. And Cole as well. I mean, there were so many little moments at 5-on-5 five five and even on the penalty kill where he was able to disrupt uh, a pass or outmuscle a guy down low. And he's one of those players that you may not notice it when you're just sort of casually watching the game, but if you really look out for it particularly, just watch how many times there were situations where the Oilers were trying to get set up in the offensive end, and he's just able to forward it quickly, break up the cycle, and make a little bump bump play to the wall, and the Canucks are, are, are breaking the puck up the other way. Um, those little plays add up a lot, and last night it's why they didn't spend many long shifts getting hemmed in, and I, I thought he was a catalyst to really helping that um, second pair settle in. Uh, Hirose Juleson, I thought it, there were some shifts where, where he felt nervous, especially when, um, you know, mid, midstream during a change, you know, for, for a split second here or there, Oilers were able to get uh, the McDavid line out there, and, and that's really where I'm curious to see how they adjust on um, Saturday, because I liked how the top four looked, but I'm still... I'm still a little bit concerned. I don't, I don't want to say concerned, but a little bit nervous um, to see how the third pair um, performs. And that's where you you maybe might see a bit more um, defense sort of done by committee and, and maybe Hughes and Hronick split up a little bit more. That's what Talkett seemed to be alluding to post-game. Yeah, there'll be some more situational stuff. And I'm sure there'll be, there'll be a bit more sheltering going on for some pairs, especially with they'll probably get a lot of offensive zone draws and, and situations like that. But inevitably, though, there's going to be an icing. There's going to be plays where you can't make a change, and those guys are going to find themselves against the best opposition. So how they play as a team and getting ahead of it is going to be big, a big part of it. And, uh, you know, the other thing I wanted to touch on here with you, too, in terms of what they did really well last night, special teams were pretty strong. And the power play, especially with the movement they wanted to create, getting Elias Patterson to be more than just a decoy and a one-time threat. Uh, what did you make of the way the power play was moving last night? Yeah, I, I love what, what you mentioned in terms of getting Pedersen involved right away because last year it, it took so long for him to get his first power play goal. It was almost uncanny given how dominant he had been at 5-5. Uh, and five. And what's essentially happened is that the power play in previous years, Bo basically was the primary threat in the bumper and you ended up in a situation where Pedersen was, as you said, just sort of a decoy. And and now with Corbett sort of gone, you could see that the entire power play was sort of having to adjust and not having that one-timer left shot option in the bumper. And honestly, I was impressed at how quickly they adjusted. I mean, even JT Miller, a couple of times, I, I had sort of wondered how he would adjust not, having that one-timer uh, option to pass to just because it, he'd gone to it so many times or the situation where he'd pass the puck to the right shot net front guy down low and the right shot net front guy would again, pass it back up to Bo for a tic-tac-toe. And they just had that look for so many years that I wondered if it might take time to adjust, but Miller right away was able to sort of look at whether it was Kuzmenko in the bumper or, or Besser looking for those deflections, um, slap passes. And there were a couple of close calls there where Canucks almost uh, scored. They controlled the puck there well. And uh, I love how they introduced some movement so that Pedersen got meaningful touches. Um, he looked really aggressive as a shooter. I mean, he even had um, a one-time opportunity ring off the crossbar. He, he looked absolutely potent. And um, it was a really impressive adjustment because honestly looking at 
the way that they were adjusting to the new power play look in training camp, I I had wondered if it would take time to get used to because it wasn't just, hey, we're switching one guy out of the bumper. It was a scenario where you're where Taki philosophically said that we're changing the way we're doing things. This isn't going to be a stagnant one th- typical one three one that we're used to. There's going to have to be more movement. We're not necessarily looking for set uh, a set two three four number of plays. It's going to be more um, more freestyle, more free flowing, more based off instincts. And sometimes it can take time to build those tendencies, build those habits, build those reads. But honestly, it, it looked like a group that had been running that type of format. Um, you know, for for a long, long time already, and that was really important to see because this power play um, and the special teams overall needs to be an asset. You know, uh, it, the the week started in a strange way before the euphoria of last night at Rogers Arena, the eight one win. Uh, you had the Pedersen uh, note come out from Elliot Friedman first, and then Elliot came out with another bomb and dropped that Connor Garland. Connor Garland's agent was out there and looking for a trade. Garland scored last night, felt like a little bit of redemption for him in that moment. Look, a trade is going to take some time to get done. We know the cap situation around the league and uh, you know, they quite frankly, I think they've been looking for a Connor Garland deal for a while, not even just in the last couple of days. So I, I guess, you know, the question we've continued to ask is where is Garland's best fit? on this team. It hasn't necessarily looked like it's next to Elias Pettersson. And I would imagine once Ilya Mikheyev is back, Garland goes back down the lineup, but is his best spot as sort of a play driver on this Canucks third line, maybe with Pew Suter and Anthony Beauvillier. It could be, we'll see because it worked out really well that way, especially with him driving extra offense and uh, the bottom six, down the stretch under uh, under Tockett. Um, obviously, he was fantastic there, you know, last night. So as long as those guys are hot, you you keep rolling them. Uh, but I think big picture, the the takeaway with Garland for me is that he, like, the team still needs him at five on five to be generating um, offense at this point, especially since you know there's still uncertainty around even when McKayev does come back, how long will it take him to shake off? Um, the rust, and this isn't a team that's exactly like, yes, they have a lot of bottom six winger depth, but with Pod Colson, for example, not um, taking the step that we thought, and Hoaglander, you know, I thought he was impressive in day one, but maybe not quite ready for an offensive breakout yet. Um, this team still needs legit, you know, middle six caliber wingers, and this is where. Garland has been such an effective five and five play driver since he's come to Vancouver. I mean, uh, before last night, you look at the numbers and Garland's five and five point totals. He's tied with JT Miller um, with, uh, with 78 second among all Canucks forwards. And, and there's a sizable gap between um, him and Brock Besser, for example, Garland's produced a lot more at, uh, at five on five. And, and this team, this is a team that, you look back at last year, finished 20th and five on five goals. So I still look at Garland and I'm going, he's an important piece of this lineup. And if you're the Canucks, I'd almost be thinking about waiting until the end of the season to be shopping him around and um, looking at your, uh, looking at your other options because you're not presumably going to get a lot of value with him and how much term is left on his contract, how much cash is left on his contract. So, 
why would you just give him up for free when he's still an important piece for your lineup? Yeah, and I, I think that's the thing, the the conundrum the team's been dealing with. They couldn't move the salary, and then when it comes to making a trade, it's hard to just make the trade and take the L, whether it's on the ice or on the books. So I think that's going to take some time. Uh, the only other thing I kind of wanted to ask you about, what did you think of Sam Lafferty? I thought he was fantastic. Um, he added a different dimension with how heavy he is on the puck, how strong he is down low, and we saw the penalty that he was able to draw just muscling the puck up the ice um, and then on a, on a basically ordinary zone entry, driving it hard to the net um, and, um, and, and drawing the penalty. I mean, that's just the sort of play where when you look at this Canucks forward group um, and the, specifically the way Talkett wants to play, north-south, heavy along the walls, being able to protect the puck, uh, being responsible defensively, helping on the PK, like that describes Lafferty to uh, a T, especially when you also add the speed element, right? Because it's one thing to have a guy who's broad, um, who's big, who's strong, uh, but a lot of those guys tend to be slow, but that's not Lafferty at all. He's got the speed um, on top of that. But he was really disruptive. Um, I'm excited to see what impact he can have as, um, as a bottom six um, driver. And again, he just gives them a level of heft uh, grit um, and pushback uh, that I, I I want this Canucks lineup to, to have more of. So I, I loved his first impression in Vancouver last night. Harm, we appreciate the time as always. Thanks for this. Thanks, guys. Uh, there is Harmon Dial of the Athletic joining us here on Canucks Central in a uh, interesting spot that the Canucks find themselves in. Not something that they are used to, at least not from the last couple of years when. Uh, they were really bad out of the gate. All right, we got lots more to get to here on the show, and we will. Canucks got the uh, Edmonton Oilers on Saturday, and then it's a, well, I mean, they start of six-game roadie right away out on the east, uh, out on the eastern seaboard. And you know what? You start to think about the 8-1 win and you start looking at the next number of games. You already feel like you're playing with house money a little bit in this home and home. Like you got the first one. Now you can go to Edmonton, play a little bit loose and try to build on what you just got. But then, you know, this five-game road trip doesn't look as daunting now sat does yeah. it now that now that you have at least one win in the bag and you can try and just go and have a good road trip now we we had the discussion uh, before the season about the first 10 games yeah and play now sports had the over under at what 10 and a half points yeah and we we said well, we'll take the over and we're talking about one point over 500 yeah but when you look at the first 10 games of the season or the first, you know, 10 games, you're like, well, they're they're pretty difficult games, right? <laughs> and what makes it very difficult is your first two are against maybe the best team in the West <clears throat> yeah. or one of the best teams in the West. So for you to win one of those games at the very least, it just becomes easier to piece it together now, right? It's like, well, you still got to win, you know, four more games and pick up another point, yeah. but it's not as daunting all of a sudden. Uh, and where are you at after those first six games? So now you've got Edmonton, you won that one, Edmonton, Philly, Tampa, Florida, and Nashville. You know, we're, we're talking about a Canucks team that you get this one win and you feel pretty good about being able to come home maybe above 500 at the end of this road trip. So that's 
promising for a team that needs to get off to a good start at the very least. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and that's the thing. And you know what? Like to me, and maybe we're we're doing the pick up points thing very early in the season, but again, we kept stressing the importance of the start of the season. And, and you would and, much rather be a team that has to play like 500, 510 hockey to get to the playoffs once you're at, like past American Thanksgiving than you want to be a team that has to play 600 hockey like yeah. we've seen the last couple of years. Well, exactly. And now, especially with that trip coming up, there's yeah. a chance for you to do so. Uh, all right. Lots more to get to here on Canuck Central. Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Tune into the Sportsnet Radio Friday Soccer Report. That's tomorrow. Brought to you by Casiero del Diablo wines and the way to be a legend contest the chance to win a once in a lifetime trip to england for the ultimate manchester united experience including a chance to play a football match at old trafford where manchester united legends will make an appearance no purchase necessary conditions apply must be legal drinking age casillero del diablo available at bc liquor please enjoy responsibly enter in store or visit casillero manchester.com you are listening to canuck central Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Vancouver sports fans. Halford and Bruff in the morning. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.